Hello everybody, once again, welcome to Masters of Divinity. Uh, this is your pal JP, just dropping in to let you know that in this episode, we had some technical difficulties. Luckily, they do not occur until the very end of the episode, and as you can tell, uh, this episode is a good hour and 30 minutes long. Uh, so it's a big, nice, juicy one. But yeah, at the end of the episode, uh, we kind of drop out. Uh, so I just want to give you a quick heads up about that. Uh, didn't want you to feel betrayed or, 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 or punished because we love you. Uh, we, we love that you keep subscribing and, and rating and reviewing us. Please keep doing all those things. Uh, do those things on iTunes. Do those things on Google Play. Uh, please like us on Facebook, which is like kind of like our main platform at the moment. We, we really like to use that. Uh, and you know, we also have a website, uh, themastersofdivinity.com. Uh, be sure to check that out. And just, just be fans. Make us your fandom. We want to be your fandom. And that's what today's episode is about, by the way. It's fandoms. We talk about what fandom means. We talk about all of our different fandoms. Um, and we talk about how it ties into everything spiritual, as usual. So, uh, once again, thank you so much for listening and for participating. We love you. To another edition of Masters of Divinity. This is episode nine. I am your mod narrator, uh, JP, and we are recording live from Orlando's The Holy Land Experience at the Passover Parade. <laughs> yeah, can, can we do that in real life, actually? <laughs> the best kept secret in Orlando. <laughs> for those of you not familiar with The Holy Land Experience, it's sort of like Disney World, but for evangelicals. Ugh, that's a stretch. <laughs> it's like Wild Adventures in Valdosta, Georgia, for evangelicals. That is the that is the perfect lead-in to today's topic. So let's get going. Yes, perfect. <laughs> is that why you wanted to talk about the Holy Land experience? I don't know. I just it popped you know, in my head. It's perfect. It fits perfectly into what we're going to talk. I've just always wanted to say we are recording live from Orlando's The Holy Land Experience. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I do wonder if they're having a Passover parade from the so. empty tomb in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> Come see the Greater Orlando area's many religious-themed attractions, like the Holy Land Experience with the Scriptorium and uh, the Thomas Nelson Bible Translator, and um, um, Our Lady Queen of the Universe, Mary Queen <laughs> of the Universe uh, Cathedral. Can I can I just tell you, Heather and I were in Orlando and we drove past that, and I said, "Oh my gosh." How awesome would it be to one day be like, and now we are masters of divinity coming at you from our, our Mary Queen of the Universe. <laughs> Mary Queen of the Universe shrine. It's actually a beautiful place. I've been there I know, but that Masters of divinity from Mary Queen of the Universe. <laughs> we, we, we just killed JP's whole intro. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, you did. You made it better. Do, do you want to rewind? Do you want to start over? Pretend we didn't do that? <laughs> no, it's fine. We're going with it. I am here, of course. With uh, my friends, Father Chuck and Matt Wells. How are you doing, guys? Good, good, wonderful. Yeah. Doing all right? Yep. Yeah. Recovered from my road trip and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Good to hear. How about the last episode? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was, uh, yeah, it was random. 
I was going to say real quick, um, I, I, I made a Calvinist reference in my sermon on Sunday. Did you really? I did. I got Calvinist on my congregation on Sunday. Mm. If you want to hear that, you can go on to chapelsta.org to sermons and you can listen to it. <laughs> because I'm going to place a ban on you mentioning Calvinism on our well, podcast anymore. Well, Sunday, I, Sunday, April 24th sermon. That will be the, the one that you'll want to look up there. That'll well, be the one me, you will not to want be to be Calvinist. I told, I told my congregation that they deserve nothing. It, it is the one wow. not that you want, but the one that no one deserves. <laughs> I told them they deserve nothing. No one deserves anything. Well, I would just like to say if you've made it this far, you probably aren't a Calvinist. <laughs> Boom! Finally said it for the third time. I, I don't think I said it those times, so I really don't. I don't. Know. So, so moderator, what are we talking about today? Mod. Today we are talking about fandom. Uh, so, Father Chuck, uh, how would you describe fandom? Describe to us and our audiences, in your words, what you think fandom is. Well, I think fandom. It's not just. Um, it's not just being – I mean the word fan is in it, right? I mean like you think of like just being a fan of something. But like like if I say like I'm a fan of drag racing, meaning like I watch it on occasion or something, like that's not really like fandom. Right. You know, fandom, it, it kind of borders on almost like – almost religious? Almost it's, – it's somewhat obsessive. But like obsessive is kind of a negative word. But it's, it definitely has – Devotion, yeah. I mean it's got kind of a – it doesn't really. It's not logical. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fanatic. Oh, there, there it's, we go. Yeah, um, I think we use the word "fan" to kind of toss around. I like it, but when we're getting into fandom, we're touching back on where I think even "fan" comes from, and it's kind of like being a fanatic about something. It's almost um, you're like completely focused on that, whatever it is. It becomes like the driving force to everything you do, like. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. football team determines the colors I wear, kind of. A right, thing, right. Which I don't watch football, so that's a really bad example for me to use for myself personally. But yeah, you know what I mean. Well, this is this is getting me thinking a little bit. I've got two friends um, who are priests, and they have a they have a podcast called Two Priests in a Pod. It's a very good podcast. Um, they they've past two episodes have talked about this guy by the name of um, David Dark, um, who wrote a book about religion. And he defines religion as any kind of controlling narrative. Um, and I kind of see that idea inherent in fandom, you know, because, you know, like if you're like, like if you're really, if you're a fan of a particular thing, like, you know, like I mean, sports team, um, music, you know, particular bands, artists, whatever, um, you know, or cons, like whatever kind of conventions coming around that you might be into, you know, you're like, you're going to sort of work your schedule around that. You're going to kind of put your time and energy into that. It's going to sort of dictate a big chunk of your life. Right. So I think that that, that gets into fandom. I mean, like, cause it's, it's, it's more than just like, like if I, if I say, Oh, I'm a fan of Star Trek, you know, when you hear somebody say that you think, Oh, okay. You, you watch Star Trek occasionally. Mm-hmm. But when you say like, I'm a Trekkie, that's a whole different, that's, that's when you get into fandom. Right. Do you think the uh, – I mean I think fandom is a relatively new term. Mm-hmm. I know I never really used it or really read it until like maybe the past five years maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think there's been sort of a transformation throughout the years between uh, – I don't know. Maybe being a fan of something and fandom is, is sort of a new phenomenon or well, – I'm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit. What, I, what, what the way that I've seen the term evolve? Yeah, because it's it's not just a just to say it's first. It's not that the word and hasn't existed until the last five years, or that we haven't said well, it has its own fandom kind of an idea. Yeah, but it's become a leading a, a leading factor in conversation within yeah. pop culture is well, fandoms. I mean, I mean, I think for me, like the, the, the time that I think, I think I first heard, I first ever read the phrase was referring to something, you know, a thing or two about Matt, which is my little pony. <laughs> um, people referred to the, my little pony fandom. And that was the first time I heard the term is when it was like, it was like specifically tied to like a thing. Right. Right. So it was like the fandom of Pokemon. The Pokemon fandom, the the My Little Pony fandom, the you know whatever fandom. But now, like just in the past, I would say two years or so, I've noticed fandom itself being this sort of umbrella term that it's its own thing, just fandom, right? You know, kind of like a categorical sociological term, fandom, rather than just like you know ni- little niche fandoms or whatever. And I definitely think it's something that might have originated from like uh, Tumblr. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> Tumblr is you know. The place where fandoms uh, start and die and thrive. And deviant art too. That's true. Deviant art as well. Um, so, fandom. Uh, do you guys uh, subscribe to any any fandoms right now at the moment? Well, the way we just talked about that word, I want to know what you mean by do I define myself <laughs> under fandom? Okay. Well, let me to because we made it sound like a very very negative. Um, Thing. Oh, so then I'm gonna, like, put yeah. a, I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna put a JP spin on it. All right, let's do it, JP. I'm gonna the say, mod orator. I'm gonna say fandom, in this case, uh, is defined as something that you have an intense knowledge and passion for that that isolates you from other people. <laughs> That, that isolates you from uh, like a group of people or, or the rest of society or whatever. And the people that can relate to the knowledge and passion you have are people that, that share that same passion and knowledge. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And it's very interesting because this, uh, this whole thing, and I'll try and save it to tie it in a little more, but it's touching back on um, what we talked about with uh, when Father Patrick visited with the idea of breaking ourselves into subcategories. Mm-hmm. But that's that's why I said I want to clarify what we mean by fandom, because I don't feel like I will. I will say, yes, I have fandoms and I will share with you um, what what I believe a couple, two of them are to me. I will say that now fandom to me is not about seeking out a group of people that I can have this like close bond with because of because they're into the same thing as me. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with the disclaimer that it doesn't mean the same thing it used to, and that kind of touches back on what we were talking about. Like, I used to be into something, and then it was like you look for somebody else who's into that, so you have some kind of, like, a bond together, but you, in the process, are cutting out everybody who's not into it. Right. Um, and I'd like to think that I've moved away from that. But my fandoms... The two I can immediately think of, one more current than the other, but the other is diehard, never going away, um, would be Buffy. Um, I'm going to throw out, I was a fan in every sense of the word, even if we want to go back to the fanatic idea, for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Heck yeah. And 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 will always be an ongoing one will be James Bond to me. Nice. To the point where I argue 
for certain things about the James Bond franchise that I don't even believe in myself, but because it's James Bond, I'm not willing to give it up. So I think that very much fits the idea that we're talking about as fandom, kind of this controlling, um, do you say controlling narrative? Because I really like that idea. Like fandom is a controlling narrative. Once I decide this is what the story's about, everything else is forced to be shaped around that. And I've actually found myself with a James Bond um, giving into certain, when it comes to movies, giving into certain ideas about, you know, like roles of women. Because in the James Bond movie, I don't want to see that change because it's James Bond, even right. though I don't agree with that, um, the way that they're treated uh, 99.999% <laughs> of the time in the James Bond franchise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there you go. You've got me uh, looking into the, the deep, dark, um, parts of my soul as I'm talking to you about my family. <laughs> but I love James Bond for those of you who doubt out there who do not know me personally but are fans of our show. Um, my, my, my son's name is Bond James <laughs> Wells. So if you doubt my, my fandom, I named my child Bond. <laughs> you also have a tattoo. I do. I have a, I have a tattoo of 007 on my wrist. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, very I, I'm a fan. It's an awesome tattoo, by the way. I've always. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Matt, when would you say you became a Bond fan? Like, is this something that's kind of been always been constant in your life, or is this something where it it's always been constant in the sense that it's as far back as I can probably remember? But that doesn't mean it's always been constant. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it was was uh, TBS used to do the James Bond marathons. Um, yeah where they would show, like, all the Bond films, which at the time there was, like, 10. Now there's 23. (laughs) Um, And I used to watch them with my dad. So my dad and I would watch these movies together. And um, they are, whether it is true or not, in my head, they are the first experience I have of watching a real movie, not a not a, a cartoon or a family, you know, like kid movie, right. watching a real movie with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then growing up with that. And it became kind of this, um, this running thing throughout my life that kept reoccurring where my dad and I would watch these movies together. And it was kind of like, uh, my growing up was with James Bond. So he became kind of the height of cool for me. So. <laughs> uh, and I, I will not disagree with you. Uh, Bond is definitely the height of cool. Oh, he is. Yes, that's something that if you argue with me, we we will have serious issues. Whether you like the movies or not, the James Bond character is the height of cool. He might not always be the best example of other things, but he's the height of cool. <laughs> yeah, the swamp man, that mm-hmm. James Bond. Mm-hmm. I think uh, trying to remember correctly, uh, Phil Nobile Jr. of uh, Birth Movies Death is also uh, a Bond fan. You know that blog we all read, Birth Movies Death, and he wrote about how. It's kind of like the only fandom or only franchise to constantly be sort of like uh, kind of sell cool. Not just that he is cool, but like people want to wear what James Bond wears, like the watches, the suits. Um, the Tom Ford sunglasses that I may own or may not own in two <laughs> different pairs and two different color choices. Yeah, it's almost it's almost part of the identity of bond and part of the fandom is like is is the fashion which is interesting because i can't really think of another fandom that has like real fashion attached to it like modern day fashion because i think it's that's it's always been that way 
You would say, hey, hey, Connery. Don't, are, you, are you denying the inherent coolness of the Naruto button-up shirt? <laughs> I would never deny that. Never. <laughs> Please don't hack us. With the Trilby hat. <laughs> so, Matt, do you own anything that's, uh, that's, that's Bondish? Like, what, what, what kind of stuff? I know His you child. own. <laughs> My child. Besides who, I, who I named after a non-existent character. Rather than, you know, like, he is named after his grandfather. <laughs> My child is named after James Bond. Um, a womanizing sociopath. <laughs> yes. It, 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 uh, besides my child, let's see. Um, I own the Tom Ford sunglasses that I just admitted to. Yeah. I, the first, I admitted in the last podcast that I'm a big fan of handguns, that uh-huh. I love taking them to the range. The very first one that I owned was a Walther PPK um, because of James Bond. Nice. Yeah, and then basically every decision I make in life in some way goes back to uh, down to color choices. Yeah. My my color choices in car have always been silver or like a gunmetal gray. Um, it's really because of Bond movies um, from me growing up, not always throughout the Bond history, but growing up. There was even a time that I wanted a light blue um, BMW just because he had it, even though I see them now, and I hate that car. You're talking about the, the Z3? I am. Um, I am, yes. Uh, and one of my dreams would be an Omega Seamaster, um, the James Bond editions, nice. any of them. But every movie, they come out with a new one. So if anybody listening out there wants to send me one, you'd be the greatest person ever. <laughs> Get them to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, you can spawn yeah. out. Oh, Omega. Yeah. Omega could sponsor Omega, us. Omega. We can, we can beg to differ. Um, <laughs> yeah, you also, I mean, you own all the movies too, right? Like, don't you own the, the complete collection, the 50th anniversary? In three different formats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, I had the DVDs, and then I had the Blu-rays, and then I bought the digital. Um, so yeah. No VHS. Uh, I had some of the VHS, but I never owned all of them. That was before I made money. Oh, okay. Um, the VHS. <laughs> they, we shifted to DVDs before I had a job where I could ah. actually buy buy them. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, in in three different formats. Well, it's interesting. So special edition VHSs. I have a couple. Tomorrow Never Dies is one of them, which is not one of my favorite Bond movies really? by far. Don't give me the look. But, giving you the look. But the special edition VHS, the VHS special edition that comes with cast photos and all that good stuff. Yeah, still got it. <sighs> You know the reason why I'm the reason why I'm digging so much into your Bond love as opposed to your Buffy love because I could really dig into that because I'm also a Buffy fan. Yeah, and uh, that that um, Buffy is is one I think we should reserve for our own episode. Where I really do. We'll just talk way too much. I really do. Father Chuck to watch a little more of it. Yeah, I mean up. I've watched a lot of Buffy. It's yeah. just been a while. Yeah, but but we'll save that. Big There's fan. a whole Big episode in there. But one of the reasons why I, I was touching more on that instead of Buffy is because I think it's kind of more interesting when you dig into fandoms that are like kind of ongoing. Mm-hmm. You know, Bond is definitely an old fandom, but it's still like it, it's it's still going. You know, mm-hmm. like you could be your grandpa's fandom, mm-hmm. and then right. your dad's, and then yours. Like it, that's that's not common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like Star Trek or Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Been, it's been over 50 years now. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I did not realize. Doctor Who and Bond had their 50th anniversary, I believe, the exact same year. Oh, interesting. So they came out, like, they started the same years. I believe so. I, I... Yeah, first episode of Doctor Who aired uh, on, uh, in 1963. It's actually the same day Kennedy was assassinated, and I've already forgotten the date. 
Wow. November 22nd. November 22nd, 1963. That is also, also the day that Albus Huxley died, as did C.S. Lewis. That's a really depressing day, minus yep. the the Doctor Who thing, because that's another one. I'm 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 a fan. I'm not. I wouldn't class you based on our distinction of the words. I would not classify myself in the fandom of Doctor Who. Um, I believe I was there for a couple of years. Yeah, me too. But I wouldn't classify myself there currently, mainly because. Um, all the people out there, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're familiar with Doctor Who, or you would not be listening anymore, um, <laughs> nine episodes into this at this point. The more I um, hear about Doctor Who, the more I want to wedge you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the fact that he always comes back as somebody different, and the new guy, I've never seen a single episode of him. Um, I just can't get myself to care. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, Matt West, though, JP knows that he was a... Uh, um, doofus face. <laughs> I called him for a long. He has a stupid face. He just did. And then I started watching it and absolutely loved him just in time for him to, to regenerate into somebody else. It's incredible. Yeah. We lost Father Chuck. Yes. You, you lost. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to lose you. Well, before, before I move sure. on, even though I do think we should probably save our, our Buffy-isms for mm-hmm. its own episode, uh, I talked plenty about Buffy on one of our episodes. I want to hear you say some things just, uh, just so my mom... Uh, doesn't think I'm. Those you weren't alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so just, just give us a quick rundown about uh, your fandom of Buffy. Like just my to... my actual style choice in life through high school was entirely based around that show. Um, <laughs> the way I dressed. Did you dress like Xander? Um, uh, no, that was me. I, for a short <laughs> for a short amount of time. No, uh, but my main probably the key the key figure in my style choice in life was Oz. Um, Seth Green's character, oh, yeah. who um, incredible! Come on, Oz, <laughs> one of the greatest, one of the greatest characters ever. Seth Green's best role in the history of anything. Oz is one of the greatest, and if you doubt that, watch the episode Hush, where they read his mind for three seconds, and it's just the great. He's arguing about kryptonite and Superman. Uh, and all sorts correction, of that was not Hush. It was. I know. Uh, I realized that when I said it. <laughs> it was, <laughs> the episode is in fact earshot, uh, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's back up wait stop we're gonna edit it out pretend i didn't say it. okay no um in hush he was arguing philosophically about if you think therefore you are and somebody knows your thoughts and do you only exist because they know you like he gets this, this whole thing again it's um, earshot not it's hush. Just um you said hush again it's, it's earshot the episode is earshot <laughs> This is what we do with fandoms. We argue. We argue. Okay. Okay. Continue to make fun of me about getting the episode of Buffy wrong. Sure, it's just a slip of the tongue. So um, you wouldn't get it wrong. It, it is just the there's a slip of the tongue. So in the episode Earshot, where they're reading his mind. <laughs> um, no, what were we even talking about? Just you hearing, wanted to hear my thoughts on um, Buffy. Yeah, as a as your um, fandom. Your relationship with Buffy as a fandom. Yes. The. Um, the the characters on that show and the way that they interact with each other and the depth to which they were written, it, it just it spoke to me at that point in my life completely. This idea of a of a girl who had this destiny to be like a superhero, but it constantly caused her to feel like she was by herself. So what it really confronted was the high school notion of being alone, um, but the friends around you that matter. And that those friends are what get you through basically anything. Um, and 
at our high school, um, which JP and I attended the same high school, and he would have been one of the characters who came into the later season of my life. That was one of the <laughs> friends that uh, that gets you through everything. But no, in our high school, to take it to a aw, Matt moment, um, I spent junior high hating school and hating going because of um, the people there and being teased and coming home crying, like, all the time. Uh, then, like, in eighth grade, discovered my group of friends, um, small group of friends. There's probably, what, six of us, um, to not name names, because there, some of them might hear this and be offended if we forget their name. Um, a handful of folks. And it, was, and it was that group that got through everything. Um, to the point where, I mean, we... Our senior year was um, 9-11. Yeah. So this is not just my cheesy high school group of friends that got me, you know, through like the normal mundane dailies. This is a group of friends that got that we went through the Columbine shootings. Um, We went through the 9-11 events on TV. We went through the experience of having some of those topics touched on on our own campus. with threats on campus. Um, and that's the group of friends that kind of went through that with me. And so then to watch this TV show, that's this cheesy fantasy sci-fi action show um, that's so incredibly touched on those same ideas. Um, it's just, how could you not be a fan of that show? Like, the, the only thing I can figure that somebody growing up around our age was not a fan of that show is they didn't watch it. Right. Or they randomly turned on an episode. Because if you saw it from the beginning or any amount of time where you actually watched a few back to back and got to know these characters, I don't see how you could not have been, you couldn't have been a fan. <laughs> um, it's just incredible. Um, yeah. So. Mrs. Post, if you're listening, um, your son was not alone, and I will fess up and confess that I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that it spoke to me deeply, that it has incredible um, insight on topics about loneliness, depression, loss, friendship, and redemption, and it touches on them in ways that a teenage kid... Um, actually stopped and was watching the show and thinking about um, these issues. And let's be real, you also got to watch her kick some butt, stake <laughs> vampires, uh, blow up demons with bazookas. Yes. I mean, come on. It's <laughs> You got to hear, you know, like, no weapon forge can kill me. That was then. This is now. I mean, come on. Like, just watch the show. Just give it, give it up. Yeah, that that moment in season two. I will third two. all of that. I will third all of that. Yeah, it's funny. Joss Whedon, uh, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, said that moment in season two where she was holding the rocket launcher in the ball and blew up the demon. He said that was the moment I fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think it's true for all of us. Although it wasn't her, it was Willow for me. Uh-huh. Oh, that's that's true. Yeah, you always had to think for Willow. I, I was into Cordelia. Uh, <laughs> uh, <The> carpenter <laughs> yes uh thank you very much matt uh great insight. Ooh, trivia note you want you want to talk about charisma carpenter tried out for buffy sarah michelle geller tried out for cordelia they switched them and wanted her to be buffy her to be uh, yeah yeah so it's just a true. side note there you go <laughs> the buffy nerds are like come on matt that's old news um father chuck is <laughs> matt, like wow that's old news. never knew that so <laughs> that's for the people that weren't buffy fans yeah right <laughs> Uh, Father Chuck, I kind of know where this is going. 
Yeah, you do. I, I really do. Uh, so but I don't want to say it. I, I want. So, which part of Japan are we visiting to this evening? <laughs> um, God, every episode I'm starting to learn how ridiculous a human being I am. <laughs> which part of Japanese culture are you taking? Look, you're, spo- to? you're spoiling things, man. I'm sorry. I thought you said in the first episode we don't do spoilers. Spoiler here. alert! So, Japan will come into this. <laughs> so, Chuck, what would you say is your most defining fandom? Star Trek. No. Um, <laughs> don't you do that to me. <laughs> we all know it's a lie. I would have been surprised. Hey, Matt, Matt gets two. I get two. Sure. Star Trek is Star Trek is one. Um, Did you go to conventions? Uh, no, I've never been to a Star Trek convention. I've I really been, want to go. Though. I've been to lots of them. Really? Yes. You're better than me. Um, <laughs> no. So, no. This one. This here's where I get ridiculous. If you haven't figured that out, that if it can get any more ridiculous. Um, yes. My my defining fandom, um, and it is probably the the the, the thing that makes me into the weeaboo otaku Japanese thing that I've been in my life. And that is the Godzilla franchise. The only film franchise longer than James Bond. It is the only movie. I think it's got like five movies on James Bond. The two longest running film series of all time, both of them. Um, but yes, I am a Godzilla fan. I'm a diehard Godzilla fan. If you come into my office, I have a shelf of Godzilla toys. I, I have tons more um, in a storage unit. I sold a chunk of them to pay for my wife's engagement ring. Godzilla helped me get married. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have seen I have seen every single Godzilla movie multiple times. I I I have owned several bootleg versions of Godzilla movies because they would not release them in the United States for the longest time. Um, I know the differences between I know I know what's wrong with all of the English Sony releases of those movies and why you should never buy them because of different different things. Um, but yes, I am I am a diehard Godzilla fan. That is that is my fandom, Godzilla without a doubt. Wow, it's amazing. Uh, when did you when did you discover Godzilla and uh, when when did it embed itself into your life i love i love can i just point out i love that these conversations sound like testimonies like <laughs> doing testimony in church yeah uh, when i was in the depths of sin <laughs> um so um when i was little i was probably four or five years old um as as many as many boys about that age i developed a, an obsession with dinosaurs mm-hmm. and um my mom my mom i think found some godzilla vhs's in the bargain bin at like Kmart or something. And she bought them for me. And, um, I, I think if I remember correctly, it was like, it was probably like son of Godzilla. I know King Kong versus Godzilla was one of the first ones that I, I really remember watching and terror of Mecha Godzilla, which is, um, probably my favorite because I, it resonates with me the most. But, um, I mean, I, I, just to show you the depths of this, I mean, when I was probably six years old, I watched King Kong versus Godzilla and I cried at the end of that movie when King Kong beat Godzilla. Like I was really sad that, <laughs> that happened. Um, like I ran into my mother's room crying. Um, it's one of my earliest memories. Uh, is it because King Kong killed Godzilla? He didn't kill him. He, what did he do to him? Did he freak him get frozen in an iceberg? No, no, he, he put him in a volcano or something like that. I don't know. I just heard Samuel L. Jackson being interviewed, mm-hmm. and he talked about the King Kong remake being re- being worked on right now. Yep. Yeah. And the whole reason they're doing the King Kong remake is so that they can then do Godzilla versus King Kong. Yes, they want to do it. They want to do a new King Kong versus Godzilla movie. Yeah. Um, which I think is a terrible idea. I I, I really dislike that movie. I, I, here's I, kind of like Batman v Superman. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. 
It's just a terrible. All idea. King Kong has going for him is that he is a large gorilla. That's it. As soon as as soon as you enter the fact that Godzilla has a, an atomic heat ray that he can shoot out of his mouth, that ends the entire battle right there. It's just silly to me. But like, he doesn't have thumbs. He doesn't have thumbs. But no, the, but like King Kong, like even in King Kong vs. Godzilla, like he somehow gets like super powered by like power lines, and that's how he beats Godzilla. So it's like a cheat, even to begin with. I don't know. It's just lame. But yeah, so Godzilla, Godzilla's <laughs> my fandom. I don't. And here's the thing: is Matt has these great articulate reasons why he's into James Bond. These great articulate reasons why he's into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I do not have those about Godzilla. Like, really? there's, yeah, that there's no. I can't, I can't like sit there like, like now, like what does it mean to me now? Like, I mean, you know, I love, the, I mean, the first movie, the 1954 Godzilla movie, the original Japanese print of that movie, um, is a masterpiece of of post war, of post war Japanese cinema because it exposes. It was, in, it was de- uh, developed by Yashiro Honda as a movie that was intended to expose the horrors of nuclear war in the hope that it would mean it would make humans not want to build any more nuclear weapons or ever use them again. This is the whole point of that movie. The movie's right. extremely serious. Especially again, the original Japanese cut, extremely serious, heavy, heavy movie. Um they made it they remade it a couple years later in America. They added Raymond Burr, um, who was um Perry Mason. Right. Um, as a character and sort of turn it more into like a like a drive-in movie B movie kind of thing um, and really like there's this really poignant scene in the movie where they're running Geiger counters over people who've been exposed to Godzilla in the original Japanese version they're running these Geiger counters over like this woman and her child and um, and it's spiking so these people are irradiated just by being in close proximity to Godzilla they cut that scene entirely from the American release of the original Godzilla movie because they didn't want Americans to feel to be made to feel uncomfortable that we dropped the bomb on the Japanese like they really downplayed a lot of that, just kind of ironic in a way. But um, no, like the the movie, like yeah. But like I don't, like I said, I don't have like Star Trek. I can tell you the reason like, I love Star Trek is I love that Star Trek um, it has this really positive outlook for our future as humans. Like it's just really hopeful that eventually we will kind of get our stuff figured out. We'll explore explore the stars and we will um, better ourselves. Like that, that that to me resonates and that's a beautiful thing. And I think everybody who's in Star Trek kind of is into it for the same reason. Like Godzilla, like it's it's purely an emotional thing. Like I don't have, I don't have any kind of rational connection to like the scholarly connection of why I'm into it. Like I can tell you like what it to me means and represents now, but like I can talk about the first movie all day long. The rest of them, which are basically wrestling, it's basically WWF wrestling with guys <laughs> in rubber suits. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't really I don't have much more to say other than I find it extremely entertaining. And you show me a guy in a rubber suit destroying a city i will watch i will watch that i will watch like six hours of that so it's safe, mean, to, safe <laughs> to say you were a power rangers fan when you were a kid i was definitely a power rangers fan as a kid because when i mean first preview that i ever saw of power rangers is like oh yeah that's totally me like giant robot <laughs> fighting a giant thing in in the city like you sat next to me when we saw um Pacific Rim, yeah. and you heard me giggling like a little eleven-year-old boy <laughs> through that entire movie, right? Yeah, because yeah. it brought all of that up for me. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed. Then uh, I mean, not not disappointed, but it's, you said it's purely emotional. Your love of Godzilla. So you, does that is it safe to say you've never worked Godzilla into a, a sermon ever? I've not. I did. Um, I did do. I managed to work Godzilla into three or four papers in seminary, though. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I did one about um, 
this actually how I started reading Japanese theology to get back to our first episode um, about the idea of suffering and um, and the way that the Japanese. So, like an interesting thing about the bomb. Um, so the so the the bomb of Nagasaki was actually dropped. So Nagasaki in Japanese culture is a very important place because it's where it's the it's the heart of Christianity in Japan. Um, the the Jap the twenty eight Japanese martyrs were killed in Nagasaki. Um, there's a huge Roman Catholic cathedral in Nagasaki. Um, and the bomb was, the bomb exploded right over that cathedral and, um, the wind kind of carried it. it. They were trying to drop it on a bomb depot, but the, um, but the wind carried it and knocked it over the cathedral. And interesting, no Pope, no Catholic Pope has ever condemned the dropping of the bomb as a violation of just war theory, which is the Catholic doctrine of war, which is being apparently re reconsidered in, in, in Roman Catholicism right now, but um, never been condemned. It blew up right over a church. But in, but in but the Japanese Christians, a lot of them recognized this as an act of martyrdom. And so they, they saw this as intentional, that this bomb blew up over their cathedral. And so they see that the, the people who died in Nagasaki, in a way, as is, 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 is martyrs, as is Christian martyrs. And so I did a paper about that, um, connecting Godzilla um, and what Godzilla represents as a as a as an icon, an incarnation of nuclear war, um, to the spiritual decimation of the Japanese people oh, wow. following World War II. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, so yes, yeah, so I have worked Godzilla into those kinds of things. Cool. Um, I don't know if you're challenging me now to try to work Godzilla into a sermon. Uh, uh, you know, you know, it'd be it'd be interesting. I mean, we're working our way through the Book of Revelation right now in in, yeah. in the lectionary. Um, unfortunately, we we missed we did not read the passage in Revelation where it talks about the dragon that rises from the sea, <laughs> which is totally Godzilla. To me. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So when did you when did you say you got your your first Godzilla movie? Uh, did you say that happened? I was probably like five or six years old, and it came out of a bargain bin at Kmart. I'm pretty sure it was Kmart. Um, curious. You've got me wanting to play pop pop psychologist now and figure out your your deep connection to Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be interesting to talk about. I mean, like it'd be interesting to tie it back to. It would be like, interesting, and I you know, and I don't know. I, I I said like, I don't know. Like when I was little, I was like two three years old. I always carried a Superman action figure around with me, mm -hmm. and my mom. So backstory for Father Chuck is I never met my dad. And um, my mom sort of believed that Superman kind of became a surrogate father for me, that I sort of imagined him as the as a sort of the masculine, like the male figure that I wanted to live up to. So, like, I can see those kind of connections there. But, like, with Godzilla, like, I don't, I don't, like, I didn't want to become, like, a giant lizard, you know, or something like that. I mean, right. you know, I, I, later in high school, so getting into the whole testimony kind of thing, like, I really liked Godzilla when I was a little kid, and then I kind of forgot about Godzilla until I was in middle school, like fifth grade, fifth, sixth grade, sixth grade, yeah, sixth, seventh grade. And um, I went to the Florida Extravaganza, which is a toy and like there's a convention, there's a con, mostly toys. And I remember walking into one of the rooms and seeing this giant poster for Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. And I was like, they still make Godzilla movies? Like, what? Like, I was so excited. And, um, and that's when I, and then shortly after that, I discovered G Fan Magazine, which is God's, which is the Godzilla fandom magazine, still in print, and got caught up on it and started subscribing to the magazine, got caught up on everything. And during that time, like, 
it was just something that just fascinated me. And I think like like the military stuff, the 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 whole idea of survival, the stuff that comes with it, with, like from that, I was really into. But it became it definitely became the the thing that I, as a teenager, it became an identity, and no one else. There was no one else into Godzilla. Like Matt was talking about fandom being, you know, you guys talk about fandom being a thing that sort of brings people together. I mean. And also isolates. It, it totally yeah, isolated me in a lot of ways. And, but it was probably the first thing where I was just unapologetic. Like, yeah, this is what I'm into. Like, it wasn't, like, I didn't care, you know, if people thought it was weird or whatever. And I still don't. Uh, I never felt, you know, but it was like, this was my thing. And I was, I was happy with it being my thing. And it was just sort of like a little weird little quirk for me to be into Godzilla. Um, but it was never like intentional like i was trying to like sculpt my image around it or whatever but right. anyway yeah we're getting to a whole different yeah. place with this i mean that's but fine. yeah so really into Godzilla. A, i think that's oh. the point to get to a whole different place but that's what i'm uh, that's what i'm curious about is like actual fandom like we're talking about not being a fan of something like a casual i'm a fan of this but actual fandom like like we talked about it's the defining narrative right. it, it it leads the way your life goes because it's ultimately running in the back of your head and i mean we'll we'll we obviously will have to get to before this is over <clears throat> Christianity and how that fits into this yep. um, idea. But, um, but I'm curious because something that's as driving in your life as Godzilla is for you, as weird as that sounds to somebody listening right now, like, are they seriously talking about Godzilla? But I mean, I get it because it, I mean, ultimately Godzilla is no different than James Bond. These are fictional mm-hmm. movies that are created just for, I mean, you watch them on internet. James Bond is like a, this glorified idea of a, of a male, like the alpha male that can do anything. And he can literally take on an entire army with a handgun by himself and live through it somehow. Um, so ultimately it's not like one's more real than the other. Although we'd love to talk about this idea of realism. None of it's real. It's, it's fake. It's funny. Right. But they speak to us in different ways. And I'm curious, um, like for me, Power Rangers was huge growing up. Like that was a big part of my life growing up. Me too. And I've already talked about um, Buffy later. So like Power Rangers was when I was younger. Then it kind of moved to like Buffy. But as we're sitting here talking about fandom, what I'm discovering is the shows that spoke to me personally and really like grabbed a hold of me we're all about connection to other people. Um, it's about teamwork. It's about people who have to place their their mm-hmm. life in somebody else's hands. And the thing is, in these, there's people there for them. Um, so I'm curious, like, to become an actual, like, part of the fandom, like we're talking about, I feel like there has to be a connection to it that's that's deeper than, than the surface. I because, think, like, growing up, you, people would have been like, why do you like Power Rangers? Oh, because it's cool. Like, it's awesome. And I, ju- I just think they look cool. And then I'd go outside and I'd pretend to be them with my friends. Um, but it wasn't about, but looking back, I'm like, it really had nothing to do with, oh, it's just cool. It had everything to do with um, the will. friends on the show doing this stuff together. And then I would go out and pretend to be that with my friends, mm-hmm. hoping that we would be like this team on the show I was watching. And then I graduated, if you want to say, from that to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is the exact same thing. It's even a group of friends. Even so far as I, I always felt that the Green Ranger storyline, the, mm-hmm. the Tommy the Green Ranger storyline, was very similar to the Angel storyline in Buffy. Yeah, the, out, the outcast who 
gets was originally in evil and then becomes evil. Yeah. Well, he, he's originally introduced as this outsider who's yeah. kind of brought in. Then they become evil and then they find redemption and are accepted as an actual part of this this group. Yeah. And being honest, although Angel, I will say Angel is far from my favorite character from the Buffy shows. I, I'll just say that personally. My, my characters... Um, JP going all the way back with me knows this, but my favorite characters are like Oz and uh, Xander and um, even <coughs> Agent Riley Finn, uh, uh, who I met. I'll just say that. Uh, yes. Yeah. Mark uh, Lucas in an airport in Washington, D.C. I've met some of my favorite actors and directors. Uh, I, I would I would break down in tears if I met a, a Buffy cast member. Yeah, I have a picture with Agent Riley Finn in the airport of Washington, D.C. on my way to Europe. What's awesome about him, side note, what's awesome about him is we then flew from Washington, D.C. all the way to Europe. I'm standing in a line for customs, like forever and a day to get through customs. And as I'm at the end of it, he came over to me and my cousin and said, hey, it was really great to meet you. It's awesome. Like, was that, that but he awesome. came he came looking for us and said hey it was great to meet you i'm like great to meet me come on i got asked his autograph like a like a, like a nerd i mean the only, um, the only it's awesome because the only the only celebrities that i've ever met are um carrot top and uh victoria jackson so <laughs> yay oh but, we gotta well, talk about victoria jackson one day chuck we should do that but no like um like you get back to the Godzilla thing. I think if, if, if for me, as, as you're talking, I'm trying to think a little bit about it. And I think the, the thing that attracted me to it in some ways is just it was so different. Mm-hmm. It was just different. I mean, in all in, in, in so many ways. You know, Japan, a very different place. Um, the the monster designs, the whole concept of it is very different. Amer- I mean, like everyone talks like so giant monster movies in America. The monster climbs over the buildings. Giant monster movies in Japan, the monster goes through the buildings, Um, which is why, by the way, the 1998 Matthew Broderick movie that is titled Godzilla is not actually a Godzilla movie because he never really destroys a building. He climbs on top of them. Except for a MetLife building. Oh, yeah. I guess he runs through it, right? Which which is funny because my dad is uh, big in Primerica, which is a competing company with MetLife at the time. So so they like to laugh about the fact that they they hired hired Godzilla. They destroyed a MetLife building. Um, (laughs) But, but like, um, and they they finally got it right with the Garrett Edwards Godzilla movie from a few years ago, which I thought was great, which is a great movie. But um, saw it twice on opening day. Um, But, yeah, the, um, um, but I think a lot of it had to do with just the difference. And I think for me, growing up, so, like, like, I guess it, this all this all's kind of fitting together. Like in high school and stuff, like I I, I was I was really bored. I guess we're really starting getting the kind of the Christianity thing. Like I was really bored with, um, I was really bored with my surroundings. It's it felt, everything felt so very vanilla to me. Um, you know, the idea of like spirituality consisted of wearing a suit and tie and going to church on Sunday, listen to a guy prattle on for about an hour and you sing these kind of boring songs and all this kind of stuff. Like, uh, you know, the idea of like, I was really attracted to like, like Zen Buddhism, you know, through that, the idea that like, you know, people wear robes and they meditate and it just seemed so different. Like I never like really practiced it, but I was just fascinated by the idea that there was something else. And of course I learned that as spirituality, but I think ultimately it came down to is I, I, I lived a a somewhat, somewhat boring life. I don't know. I mean, I grew up kind of in the hood, but I still felt like a lot of my life was very sort of like structured and familiar and kind of boring. And so I was really attracted to something very different. 
I don't know, maybe some psychologists would love to like parse it out and say like, yeah, the thing you were just, you were really attracted to was something that destroyed everything around it right around the same time you like started listening to punk rock and started skateboarding. So I don't know, maybe it was anarchy is what it was all about. But, um, but yeah, well, I don't well, know. It, it, it is, it is curious if I can play pop psychologist for a minute and you can, uh, edit out the stuff that doesn't matter. It is curious to me that, that you talk about the not having met your father um, and oh then God, you are drawn, issues. and then you are drawn to things that are destructive, and then on top of that, you, you, as somebody looking from the outside in, and this has actually mm-hmm. been a positive for you, like the thing, like JP and myself could both say, one of the things that when you met Chuck for the first time, before you were Father Chuck, and we just met Chuck, mm-hmm. the thing that drew you to Chuck was how much of an individual he was. Um, he. He was who he was, and it didn't matter who you were. It was going to be Chuck. And like him or hate him, you know who Chuck is. Um, and it kind of draws you to somebody like that. So you are drawn by this independence, and it hmm. kind of shows up in your, like, you like Godzilla because it's the outside, the fringe, yeah. the, the stuff that, that, that the other people didn't. And your, your kind of independence plays into, plays into that. So yeah, the pop I mean, psychologist thing, you kind of like your yeah, identity of maybe. being yourself, being the one who, the I mean, one who stood out. Maybe. I mean, it was never intentional. It was never like I, like, it was never like I just, like, like saw Godzilla for the first time. I was like, yeah, you know, no one likes that. That's going to be my oh, thing now. Yeah. But, like. But I think more than the destruction stuff that ever attracted me to it, because like it was, I was totally indifferent to the whole destruction thing. The thing that really I think that fascinated me about Godzilla, especially the Heisei Godzilla series, which is the second Godzilla series, which can't started in Godzilla, with Godzilla Returns in 1984 and ended with Godzilla vs. So Destroyer in 1996. You can't know this much about it, um, about some deep connection to this material. Um, but was every one of those movies dealt with the United Nations developing some kind of counter Godzilla measure. And so I was always kind of interested in like what kind of technology they would come up with to deal with this problem. Because Godzilla in those movies is more of like a natural disaster. You wanted the answer to the thing that destroyed everything around it. Yeah, I guess. So So, there we go. So as the one who didn't know his father, you wanted the answer to the thing that destroyed, (laughs) (laughs) destroyed the life around you. Or is this a manifestation of Chuck's uh, wanting to destroy the constructs of society? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, now we're in Fight Club. I don't know how we just got there. I, I, hey, no, I, I did always say Chuck was my Tyler Durden. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or the the blatant rip off rip off that is a popular TV show. Um, is that still in the air? Mr. Robot. The, yeah, Spoilers. is Mr. Robot still in the air? Yeah. 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 Yeah, blatant ripoff of Fight Club. At least any part of it I watch, I will say that unashamedly. <laughs> well, I realize in our conversation, Matt, when you and I have talked a lot about our fandoms, we've not heard from our moderator, the mod erator. Um, um, we've gone like for a really long time. So. How long have we been going? I don't know. I've got, the call's been an hour and an hour and twelve minutes. Oh, we're good. We got another like twenty minutes. Go for it. You're twenty minutes. minutes, JP. Go. You know, uh, since we, we we knew we were going to do this. Since like last week, and I made this whole list of stuff. <laughs> Since we knew we were going to do it, JP prepared when the rest of us did not. <laughs> well, it's because it's it's actually something I I kind of like to do. I like to list the things I really like and why I like them, which is kind of weird because I can't. I don't I don't have like a, a I'm not independently wealthy, so I can't buy all the stuff that I that I love to, to express my love for them. Like I wish I could have like a library of movies and comic books and books and records and 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 uh, Nika statuettes and stuff, but I, I I can't. So I, I just 
I just add them to my Amazon wish list and just and Wait, love it. <laughs> you lost me on that one. What's a Nika statuette? Nika. Any, they make like, uh, you know, like action figures for adults. Okay, got they're it. Like so it's like, a, it's like a company. They're unbelievable, yeah. unbelievably realistic. So I probably and have seen them. I just didn't yeah. know the name. Very realistic, okay. very expensive. I think there's a Captain America figure that's like $450. Yeah, and he looks—he looks like a little Chris Evans. It's nuts. Yeah, they're really cool. Um, so I'm looking at this list of, of all this stuff, and maybe it'll come out. But uh, you know, when I whittle it down, some uh, I really can't escape it. But I think my my ultimate fandom—you know—kind of going by twos. I was thinking we were going to list a bunch, but I'll just say movies. As if you didn't pick on a, pick up on it by now, I can't really <laughs> decide on like what aspect of cinema I would say it was like my ultimate fandom. I guess you could say maybe horror. And if we're going yeah. if we're gonna go into horror, but there's there's also so many subsets of that that I'm like a, a huge fan of. But my favorite would be um the Universal Classic Monsters. And when I say Universal Classic Monsters I'm referring to like Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, Frankenstein, uh Bride of Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Love the creature. Yeah, and it, it, it kind of sort of runs hand-in-hand hand, the same thing with you, Chuck, because uh, you love Godzilla. He, you know, he's a monster. I, I get Kaiju. Uh, he's a kaiju. He's a kaiju. I'm sorry. Die kaiju. Yes, he's a kaiju. <laughs> Godzilla's a kaiju. Dracula's a monster. I get it. Yeah, back in your place, Post. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, the Universal Classic Monsters, uh, because I think it's to me... The first time I ever watched one of those movies, I think I was eight years old and I saw Dracula for the first time on VHS uh, because I had actually seen the play that the original Bela Lugosi movie is based on, which is why the original Dracula, by the way, is, is incredibly boring. It's dialogue driven. Matt's raising his hands like he uh, just don't care. No, you know how like, <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know how like when you... There's certain things that when you hear it, all of a sudden it's like everywhere you go, people are talking about this. Um, because of you, uh, our moderator, JP, yeah. I'm hooked on the uh, the podcast. Um, oh, my gosh. I just totally blanked out on the name of this podcast. It's going to be turned into a show. Oh, um, no. Lore? Lore. Yeah, Lore. I'm totally hooked on Lore. Like, I, oh. I, I just uh, barreled my way through, like, uh, six or seven of them. But anyway, I just got finished listening to one about Dracula and really? vampires and the lore behind vampires. And then I come here and you start talking about Dracula. And I'm like, <laughs> I know so much about that. But if I quote it right now, it's because I'm totally ripping off lore. Uh, but but, but yeah. yeah, sorry. Anyways, it's, it's, it's like it follows you. <laughs> yeah. Um, to me, uh, the Universal Classic Monsters have always sort of represented, at least in my eyes, like cinema especially Hollywood in its purest form. Like hmm. when I think of like what, what is cinema, what is Hollywood, I always go back to Universal Classic Monsters and the designs of Frankenstein's monster and the creature and Wolfman and the mummy, which were all done by a guy named Jack Pierce, legendary makeup artist. I think my love from horror kind of comes from there as well. Uh, even though I have many fandoms within the genre itself, Universal Classics are... I don't know. To me, that's just uh, that is cinema to me. Those movies, even if they are super dated by now, 
especially, I mean, any movie from the 1930s is like going to be incredibly boring. <laughs> but uh, beautiful in terms of cinematography, some of them, and great acting. You have, you have Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, legends. Well, to play pop psychologist on you, yeah. Do you think you have a reason why? Like, is there a, like, is it is it just an emotional thing? Like, like with me and in, in my monsters, or I don't really know. Like, I you know, I, I also kind of equate it with um, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. Oh yeah. Uh, I started going there when I was a teenager with my friends, and it became a tradition every year for 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 like years. From my friends in Orlando to when I moved to West Palm Beach to when Matt and I started going together. Which I never got to go with you, Chuck. That, uh, that makes me sad. I think we all need to go again. <laughs> and then do a podcast about it. That would be great. This October. Uh, if they could do one with Godzilla, that would be amazing. I'm going to comment on that. Or Cloverfield, I, which is an amazing movie. And I think why it ties into that is because you know it is Universal Studios. And when I first started going to Halloween Horror Nights, it was not what it is today. Today, it's like a, it's like a, it's like its own theme park now and it's super expensive to go and it's like wildly popular when i first started going it was very like kind of rinky-dink like it wasn't that great they couldn't afford a lot of licenses to like a lot of movie characters and stuff so they kind of come up with their own things and use their own stuff like so you see a lot of like universal classic monsters like at these haunts and stuff when you're a kid yeah um i don't think they really scare me but right yeah to me it just represents movie magic and that sort of okay that um, movie magic is why I love movies. There you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other one, um, I, I feel kind of weird saying it because it's so incredibly popular. Its latest movie uh, made a billion dollars. Uh, I'm going to say Star Wars. Classic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't... What am I going to say about Star Wars? Like, that hasn't been said by, like, a million other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, like, better, uh, you know, like, Rod, you, want, you want someone to say something great and profound about Star Wars, go read a Roger Ebert review or something, you know? And that's why I kind of feel we're talking about is because of how wildly popular it is. And we're talking about fandoms, and you're talking about how, like, a fandom can sometimes isolate you. I've never really felt isolated in my love of Star Wars. Right. I mean, the thing about Star Wars always interests me is how... It's like the it. It never was Star Trek in the sense that like you could always be into Star Wars and no one would like make fun of you. You'd never get a wedgie, yeah, for being into Star Wars. I was never made fun of for being in Star Wars, right? You know, like no one would pick on you for that. That was always sort of a socially like like James Bond, same kind of thing. Like they're so socially acceptable fandoms. Yeah, they've mm. always kind of been like that. I got picked. Well, of course, on a in football. I got football. Picked. I got picked on a little when I said I was going to name my kid Bond. <laughs> well, okay, okay. There and are, then there I are degrees. <laughs> there are degrees, yeah. Oh, okay, depth of fandom. JP, mm-hmm. I know how deep your fandom for Star Wars goes. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I do. I don't want to talk about it here, but we'll... Are we- we're not. We're not going to. We're going to. We're you not. Don't want to talk about fandom on the episode about fandom. No, we're not going to talk. We're not going to talk about your uh, your role playing game. Uh, Chuck. See, sure. I don't know about the role playing game. That's a, that's yeah. interesting. Oh, really? I only yeah. know about the hours of fan fiction he used to make me sit through in high school. But carry <laughs> what? On. Carry on. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um... I saw one more lightsaber fight in the rain. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. and let's talk about Corbin Archer, shall Corbin. we? <laughs> that's uh, that's where the role playing part comes in. 
Yeah. Oh, I nice. created I created a Star Wars character named Corbin Archer. And uh, it was definitely a mix between Corbin Dallas from Fifth Element and Sean Archer from Face Off. Sue me. <laughs> I'm a nerd. That's where the nerd part comes in. That's where I felt isolated. I'm feeling isolated right now. <laughs> Don't feel isolated. I I I had numerous like I had numerous outlines of Godzilla fan fiction that I was going to try to submit to G Fan Magazine, and I just never did. Yeah. So I applaud you. You did it. I never did. <laughs> well, never did. it's it's funny what Matt Matt brings up uh, fan fiction. The funny thing is, is it also kind of tying into movie magic. Star Wars is actually what. Uh, introduced me into independent filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, it's and, an indie film. No, no, not not so much because of that, uh, but because I discovered something uh, through my early internet days. Uh, I discovered fan films uh... when I was 15 years old. I realized that there were people out there making their own Star Wars movie with the latest in digital filmmaking technology. And so, of course, this and, guy... and doing a better job than Lucas did with the prequels. <laughs> uh, carry on. Uh, if you want my personal opinion, <laughs> not really. Uh, they were pretty bad. Uh, they're they're awful. They're all of them were awful. All every single one of them. Uh, but it got me interested because for the first time, I started to think like a filmmaker. Because I'd always known I wanted to be a filmmaker one day. But when I was 15 years old, and I discovered this um, a forum on this website called TheForce.net, which is like a Star Wars nerd. Star Wars fan website run by Star Wars fans, so it's like an unofficial one. There's a forum dedicated to fan filmmaking, and people have these all all these conf- uh, conversations about like what kind of cameras you can use, uh, like digital effects. Uh, there are threads on writing. It was like for the first time, um, I was kind of being challenged to be a filmmaker. Like I had started film school early, in a way, mm-hmm. and. Uh, some of these fan films, the one that really I, I really loved, um, I actually didn't love the movie. I just loved the trailer because, it, you know, these are fan films. They take forever to make. It, the movie is called Night Quest. You can actually probably find it on YouTube. I, I don't recommend watching it because it's bad. But it was the only fan film of the time shot on film. Hmm. This is like, this is like 1999, 2000. And... Um, so yeah, it got me really into, interested in uh, independent filmmaking and sort of how I discovered Kevin Smith and watched Clerks and they were talking about Star Wars. I'm like, oh my gosh, people, other people talk about Star Wars. It's a movie about loving Star Wars. So yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what I could bring that's kind of new about Star Wars. I can't really say anything new about Star Wars because everyone's talking about it. Right, but, right. And, but yeah, I, but I, I definitely wanted to make a fan film with our friends uh, in high school with Matt. And I wrote an entire script my first script ever was a Star Wars fan film. And um, I believe Matt was a smuggler. <laughs> Do you still have the script? No, I don't. Uh, so we could put that, we could like auction it. No, no. We we auction it on the website. We could have first done a dramatic reading of your script, <laughs> followed by a dramatic reading of Father Chuck's Blue Silhouettes, Ooh, yeah. a zombie, <laughs> My zombie, short, zombie story. short story. Well, I, I may still have uh, the one-act play that I wrote for... Um, oh, yeah, Greedo Shot First. Oh, no, that was the poem you wrote. Greedo Shot First. No. I sure I got his call, but... This greatest poem ever. Here's the whole poem. Greedo Shot First. Worst idea ever. That's it. That's it. That's that it. was, that was mine. That is... It is Shakespearean. 
<laughs> poetry clap, poetry claps. Um, but yeah, that, that leads me to another thing. Like I, in our creative writing class I had with Chuck and with, Vic, uh, the Victoria Jackson from Saturday Night Live fan. Victoria Jackson. We have, we have, we have Vicky Jackson stories. <laughs> Do we have Vicky Jackson stories? Um, I, I wrote a one act play about a group of friends going to see the original Star Wars in 1977. And, uh, Star Wars has been like a creative force in my life more than just, you know, geeking out. Of course, I owned a bunch of toys, right? All the horrible novels and horrible comic books. Okay, video games. Uh, <laughs> good game. It's a good game. Um, but for the most part, Star Wars uh, is more of a creative force in my life than it is something that I just kind of worshipped at the altar of, you know? Well, speaking of worshipping at the altar, can we talk about the fandom, that on- the only fandom that really matters? The fandom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a youth pastor thing to say. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know, JP. I know. <laughs> Can I just be this character for the rest of the show? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is, is it, guys, is Christianity a fandom? I mean, what's the difference between a fandom and a religion? That's the question. Because, I mean, I, I, when I think about religion, well, first of all, here's where my thoughts go. Um, being a student of postmodern theology, I, I'm aware that the term religion um, has largely become a term used by um, secular social science um, to try to categorize things because that's what we that's what we did in modernity. We tried to categorize and label everything, and so we created this category called religion. Um, but if we follow that definition, um, you can see a lot of parallels with with um, with fandom and religion because religion um, religion has scriptures. It has practices. Um, there's debate on whether or not it needs to believe in it, there needs to be a god because Buddhism sometimes does not have necessarily belief in God. Um, so you know, I think about that sometimes. I mean, I think about like like Star Wars is a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, the original trilogy is sacred. It is sacred scripture um, for a lot of people, and that um, has been sullied, and we can't fix it. Yeah, I mean, because you think about like it's it you know the the prequels are sort of like the way that some Christians think about like the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of you know as an add on, um, or or whatever. I mean, you know, it's um, and I mean, think about the fact that we talk about in, within fandom, we talk about we use the word canon, right? That's we talk true. about canon, canonicity. That is a, that is a, that that that's the term for the Bible. I mean, that is mm-hmm. that is a, that is a scriptural. That's a term for scriptural yeah. um, stu- studies. Right. Complete side trail though. The canon with uh, Devin Faraci, great podcast. Very good I'll podcast. give them a shout out, shout out right here right now. But go ahead. Um, but the um, so yeah. So I mean, I think about this kind of stuff a lot. Um, and this idea, especially when we look at like to go back to that um, David Dark quote about religion being controlling narrative. I mean, I think there's a there's definitely a a strong parallel there with. With, with fandom and religion. And um, so is Christianity, yeah. I mean, I think where it gets, where, where it jumps into a different place is I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many people allow their fandom to dictate their morals. You know, I don't, I just don't think you have too many people that are, I mean, I know you've got like the whole like thing where like Jedi is a religion. I was going to say there's a whole Jedi like religion. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, that's kind of like that, but that's like that sort of thing that a lot of like atheists try to do to sort of like, kind of poke an eye in America and it's, you know, separation of religion. And I mean, sort of like the flying spaghetti monster kind of concept. Like they know it's not real. Nobody like really believes in the force. Yeah. I mean, if, if uh, people at fandom dictate their morals, Batman fans wouldn't be such horrible people. 
Well, I, I do. Well, yeah. But That's I, true. That's a good point because Batman hates guns. He's supposed to, at least. BVS does not yield well to that image. But Well, I mean, you think about sports. Um, fandom dictates people's morals in sporting um, settings all the time. They do not have a problem uh, with people who are real, like the fandom that surrounds sports and their teams. They will cuss you out. They will throw things well, at you. Yeah. They will hurt you. They well, yeah. will physically attack you. But I, but I, I would argue, but I would argue that the fandom itself does not necessarily intrinsically endorse that behavior. You know, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, because the idea, if you're if you're a sports fan, you're supposed to be in the sportsmanship, mm-hmm. right? You're supposed to be able to learn how to be a fair loser. Just like we all, you know, I think all of us probably played Little League where you had to go shake, you know, high-five the other team and everything when you lost. And we all got our participation trophies and stuff like that. But, like, the, the you know, I think it's the same kind of thing with like, with, like, Christianity. Like, people give Christianity such a bad rap for, like, all the violence that it's that it's perpetuated over, over the centuries. But, like, arguably that's not the faith, right? I mean, um, Jesus never once endorses war. Never once endorses violence. Um, plenty of Christians have enacted it, but you would have to say as a Christian that 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 that's somebody using the story. You know, that's poli- that's a political machine using it for its own ends. Which, which I think, um, to me, when from if I go back to the beginning of the of this episode where we were talking about fandom and trying to describe what we saw the word fandom meaning in today's culture, Um, how it's kind of taken on in the last several years. The word fandom has become something different. Um, I really do feel like that's the the line, even if you want to take it back to Christianity and the church, that the fandom around Christ is the voices that you're hearing in the modern culture that are creating the Mm. problems. Um, like a Westboro Baptist church, yeah, um, being the fandom around Christ, and to me, and let me let me see if hmm. I can, can 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 put it together. It's kind of tying back to that word fanatic. Um, yeah, to me, like back in the day when I'd say I was a fan of something, it just meant you know you're into it, you enjoyed it, it it meant something to you. Um, when I say I'm a fan of James Bond, that's why I said I. I the way I even think of the word fandom now in the last several years, I, I don't like to include myself into that. Although I would have to admit that I do feel it somewhat falls into that with James Bond. Cause like I've said, I found myself compromising ideas about things like, um, the role masculinity, because mm-hmm. I don't want to see certain things change in James Bond movies, even though I think, um, as a society, there's changes that could take place even in a fictional story that would be positive. But I'm like, but I don't want them to mess with it because it's Bond. Um, and I feel like the fandom around Jesus, um, the fandom in the sense that we're talking about, is kind of this negative driving force of, um, well, let me put it this way. I, I don't know if I've quoted it before on this podcast, so if I have, um, forgive me. But I had a professor who said one of the greatest quotes to me as far as personally in my life, talking about theology. He was my theology professor, Dr. Stephen Roy at Trinity International University. Incredible man. Um, and he was talking about the difference between um, certainty and confidence, And he said, when it comes to theology, 
the difference between certainty and confidence is humility. And that I can have confidence in what I believe. I can stand for what I believe, but have the humility to say, I'm human. I might not have it right. Or I could give up humility and have certainty and say, it is my way or you're wrong. It's my way or you're out. It's my way or I'm against you. Like the Calvinists. (laughs) (laughs) I just... <laughs> just keeps doing it to me over and over. Um, I just want to get you in trouble at church, man. You're so getting me in trouble. Um, not not at my church, at West Pines Baptist Church, specifically here in Green Acres, Florida. You actually do not have to fall into the straightforward Calvinist belief to fit in and be accepted 100%. Um, so I will say, not directly at my church, but there are friends of mine who you are getting me in so much trouble with constantly. But it's the idea to me when it comes to fandom and what it's meant in the last few years since really the role of the internet has created this different concept of fandom to me and the bigger internet becomes in our life, which we've only begun to see how much internet is going to influence our life. Um, But the more that becomes an aspect of our life, the more fandom has changed because there's these segregating groups for anything. Mm -hmm. You could be like, I like catch up more than mustard and find a community that will be violently opposed to one or the other. <laughs> like that's, that's the joy of the internet. Um, but that to me, comes down to that quote in Christianity, the difference between confidence and certainty is humility. Um, and to me, that's what fandom has become. The difference between becoming a, a, a follower and a believer and somebody who believes in what Christ did and the message that he's, that we're supposed to be living and, and the love that we're supposed to be sharing or somebody whose life is bent on, this is what Christ said. It's my way. And if you don't line up with me a hundred percent, then we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is humility. And to me, the difference between being a fan in the old days and being somebody who, um, like James Bond was an influence in my life and the decisions I made or, the fandom like we're talking today where if you talk badly about James Bond, I will punch you in the face and be done with you. It's humility. What, 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 as you're talking, I've been thinking a lot about another, um, another very influential and very misunderstood Jew like Jesus, and that is Bernie Sanders. Um, oh, boy. Not I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to get political. <laughs> what, what, adding to the list the things I'm going to be yelled at for later. No, I, <laughs> no actually, I'm not going to be political because I'm not going to talk about like any political candidate that okay. anyone should support or whatever. But one of the things I'm, I'm really interested in um, through my world of Twitter is is seeing how like you know there's this whole like demographic of Bernie Sanders supporters known as the Bernie Bros. They're sort of colloquially called the Bernie Bros. Like bronies. Sure. Baronies. That's kind of funny. Um, Bernies. (laughs) But like they um, like there are a lot of people who really like completely dismiss Bernie Sanders, a political candidate, simply because of his followers, Mm. just because there are these group of guys, largely white guys who are very aggressive, some misogynistic. um, And and in support of him and like, I mean, even, you know, and, and just like really, you know, without getting too much into it, but I just think like, that that's that kind of idea you're talking about, Matt. It's like I just I just go to that place right now. It's like to me is a is a perfect example of a fandom because I think it fits as a Bernie Sanders fandom. Um, it doesn't discredit who he is and what his message is, whether you agree with it or not. 
you know, Bernie's Bernie and he's, he's got his platform and he's got the stuff that he wants to support or whatever, and you can take it or leave it. And that's fine by me. Um, but it's interesting that you have people who will wholeheartedly dismiss him as a political candidate simply because his followers are insufferable. And that sounds a lot like what like Gandhi said about Christianity. You know, that famous quote from Gandhi, I very much love your Jesus, I very much, but I very much don't like your Christians, you know, or what, something like that. But there are a lot of, there are a lot of, there are a lot of Christians who really do, do a lot of bad in the world, but that, that doesn't mean that Jesus is bad. And it's something like in the world we have to be aware of, like we have to recognize. And I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people recognize that, you know, Jesus is actually, you know, pretty good person. And, and even if like people aren't going to accept him as Lord and savior, they are going to see him as, you know, an ethical moral teacher or whatever. Um, they recognize there's a distinction, but I think like the people out there are like, you know, to talk about another fandom, the atheists, like the atheist, like that sort of radical atheism, not like all atheists are fandom. I don't want to get into that, but like that, that particular, you know, stereotype, stereotypical, angry atheist that's out there on the internet. Um, that like, it's the, you know they're willing to dismiss it simply because a few Christians have really made things bad for everyone, um, and you know I think as a Christian like, you know, for me and where I'm at in my faith I, you know I find a lot of times in the internet that I in my debates and stuff with with people in the church that I find that um, I don't know if this is true for either of you guys but like I find that I often are I, I find myself at odds with other Christians as much as I do with non-believers but then I sometimes find that the Jesus that I believe in and the Jesus that I that I know and experience is a Jesus that people who are not believers are much more open to mm. than people who claim to know and believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, and that, that's what, that's what's interesting to me that if you read scripture, um, the only easy, clear understanding of it is the, the ones who ultimately in the narrative of the Bible, the one who hung Jesus on the cross were the fans of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the people who saw themselves as the religious leaders, as the ones who were doing it right, as the ones who had it figured out, and the ones that were closest to God are ultimately the ones that placed him on a cross and yeah. crucified him. And like the Romans, too. I mean, the Romans, you know, they, I mean, they so, had tied themselves up in a cult and believing yeah. that Caesar, the emperor, is their god, too. And so that idea of a usurper who could, you know, potentially... But throw- I mean, but the Romans hated him, but it, the religious leaders pushed to have him crucified. They wanted him gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just pointing out it's both. Yeah, right. but but that's what I but that's also what I'm getting at. Is like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying it's Jews. Like it's the Jews. Right, right, right. Um, but it's in today's world. There's a common understanding in in churches that if you're a Christian, the world's gonna gonna be against you. Um, and I think the Bible makes it clear if you're a Christian that, that you're gonna have hard times. That they're gonna hate you because they hated him. But what I find interesting is the way I see that lived out is, like, if people who won't go to church like me, I'm accused of living my life wrong. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I look at the story of Christ and when he lived here on earth, thousands of people came to hear him speak. It wasn't the the non-churchgoers, the sinners that hated him. They, they rallied to, to hear what he was saying. They couldn't get enough of this, this radical idea he had. Um, it was the, the churchgoers and, the, and obviously the political extremists um, because what, what I believe is what the Bible is saying is if I'm truly living the way that, that Christ mirrored for me to live, if I'm trying to live the life he lived here on earth, it's going to be two groups of people that hate you. 
and it's not the ones I get yelled at for, like the, mm-hmm. the people that don't go to church. It's the the religious fanatics, to mm-hmm. go back to the fan idea, the ones who think we have it right, and if you don't see it our way, then get out. Um, they will hate you, and then the extreme opposite. And what I mean by that is if I'm living a life saying I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, then the country based on crushing their enemies is going to hate you. Um, if I'm living my life saying I'm supposed to love everyone, then the people who want to hold grudges and hate particular groups of people are going to hate you. Mm-hmm. So you're going to run into opposition from people who want to hold on to a way of life that's separate from God, um, meaning they want to live a life based around hate or a life based around anger or a life based around the need for power. Um as opposed to living a life based around caring about other people. So when I'm getting along with people outside of the church because these people care about things like the environment, the homeless, the, the, the outcasts of society, the ones that everybody else is ignoring, they care about them, and then I get along with them, People tell me you're doing something wrong because these people aren't Christians and they should see you as different and want to be like, whoa, I can't hang out with him. He's weird. Um, But that's how we're supposed to look. (laughs) Whereas the ones who the ones who are like, I've got this figured out and we're the group that's chosen. We're the special ones. We're the ones that they're the ones that are the elect. Would you say I'm not. (laughs) Trying to go there. Predestined from the beginning of As I started talking, I realized, (laughs) see my face on this podcast, I realized as the words came out of my mouth, I was setting him up. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think we have this wrong idea of when the Bible says, if you love me, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. We have this wrong idea who's going to hate you. Right. Um, meaning, like, well, the whole world is supposed to look at us and go, we hate you. Right, yeah, yeah. And, like, if you're being hated, that somehow that you're doing That means it you're right. doing it better than everybody else. Right. I mean, there's a degree of that where that's true. But, like, Jesus got crucified because he loved people. It's right. not because he was so right. offensive to people. It's, it's he wasn't running around. It was a question. Yeah, like, he's not running around, like, you know, saying horrible, horrible things about women and all this other stuff in order, you know, he's tempted to call out a particular pastor, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, leave names out of it. <laughs> but, like, um, um, one that our, pa- that our podcast beat, by the way, um, for, like, a minute. But, um, but, yeah, this idea that, like, we can just go around and be offensive for Jesus and that that's somehow the right thing to do. And it's like, no, like, you, you love people in such a way that it's offensive, right? You love the wrong people. I mean, like, Pope Francis, for example. Pope Francis washing the feet of a Muslim woman in prison, when he was brand new pope on Monday, Thursday, the, the Thursday of Holy Week. And that offended people. People got mad at him for that. You know, these weren't the rules of the church. You're not supposed to be washing women's feet. You're not, especially not a Muslim woman. But that's like precisely the point. Like, that's the kind of stuff. Like, you're showing compassion and love to somebody who's sort of the wrong person in their minds. Like, that's the kind of, like, that's the kind of stuff you're supposed to be getting, the people are supposed to be getting offended over. Not because, like, you know, you oppose who uses what kind of bathroom or who should get married, or those kinds of things. Um, that's, that's my feeling. It is interesting, you know. I feel like the older the older that I, that I get, the more mature I become. I, I realize that you know um, the opposition to Christianity and the church isn't really 
atheists are non-believers yep. or people from other religions. It's the uh, other denomination in the church. <laughs> it really is. And and it's yeah. and you know, so many people will tell you that no, that that's how it is. I mean, that's why we have movies like God's Not Dead too. Yeah. You know, that's the whole narrative of Fox News. That's the whole uh, well, I, you know, as an Episcopalian, you know, as an Episcopalian, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm very very aware of is the number of mainstream Christians who don't see me as a real Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, just to lay my cards on the table, and I know, like, you know, without getting into anything super inflammatory, but like, I mean, I fit into a lot of things that a lot of people would consider a liberal. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm conservative in probably most ways. Um, you know, cause I, you know, and I, you know, I believe like, like, for example, the one thing that probably puts me in a minority among a lot of Episcopalians, weirdly, is like, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and the only way to salvation. Of course, you know, I have different ways of working that out than like a Baptist or, or evangelical, but, but like, yeah, but I'm like, you know, because like, because I wear funny robes and I say the mass every week and we swing incense and we chant prayers and I don't, you know, I don't believe in, like, you know, door-to-door evangelism, I'm not a biblical literist, literalist or things like that. You know, right. there are plenty of people who think that, you know, I'm not a real Christian. You know, I've been called, I have been to my, I have been called to my face, a false prophet, a false teacher. Hmm. Um, because, you know, because of the things that I've done or not done. Um, and that's the thing that's hard. Cause like, you know, when I proclaim the gospel that I believe in, I've had plenty of atheists who are like, you know, they're pretty compelled to it. It's almost like Felix in the book of Acts who tells Paul, you know, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Like I've, I've encountered plenty of people who, who are sort of like on the cusp of it because of that. But then like other Christians, they're so offended by it and they're so, you know, whatever. And it's just, it's frustrating to me. It's frustrating to me, you know, and I, cause I don't want to get caught into this whole thing of like good Christian, bad Christian, good guy, bad guy. Cause I don't think that's helpful either. But, like, my, my real passion in my ministry is to help Christians be more faithful in their relationship with Jesus. And that, that, to me, that manifests itself in ways that, is very, that are very uncomfortable. God always takes us to uncomfortable places. That's, that's what the work of the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes us to places that are not our comfort zones. It puts us in a place where we feel uneasy. I mean, St. Peter did not feel super comfortable going to St. Cornelius' house in order to convert him, the first Gentile. Right. Like that went against everything Peter believed in his religion. God, Jesus explicitly told him to do something that went completely against his understanding of the Bible. You know, told him to eat non-kosher food, which is in the Bible. So he told him that this part of the Bible no longer applies. And then he said, now go hang out with this Gentile guy. And all, I mean, he, he, you know, he put him in that place. And that's the kind of stuff the Holy Spirit calls us to do. But we keep, we keep trying to maintain a status quo. And I think, like, that goes right down to the fandom thing, right? I mean, like, like, like what you're saying, Matt, about, like, James Bond, like, the tropes about James Bond. Like, you say, you, know, you don't want to see it change. Um, and I understand that because there's, like, a particular defined thing of what it means to be James Bond. And if you mess with that formula, does it cease to be James Bond? You know, same thing with Godzilla, you know? Like, I made the joke about the 1998 Godzilla movie not really being Godzilla. That's only Godzilla in name only or whatever. Gino. But, like, yeah, Gino. But, like, really what, you know, is it? You know, like what makes it that, you know, like at what point does it, do we have to recognize that things do change and we have to accept the changes? But, um, but like, anyway, I don't know where I'm, exactly where I'm going with that, but I think it's, I think it's that kind of idea though, that, you know, within our religious belief as Christians and as members of the church, if we're truly being faithful 
to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that means that we have to be willing to entertain, you know, even if we don't agree, to entertain things that makes us feel uncomfortable because the evidence in Scripture points to that God is always calling us to places that do not make us feel comfortable, that when we feel comfortable, that that is, in fact, the dangerous place. And like you were saying, Matt, like that's where you start getting to that place of certainty. And once you get to that place of certainty, that's when you're going to nail Jesus on the cross. That's when you're going to murder God. It kind of reminds me of something uh, Rob Bell said uh, in his book. I think it was uh, was Velvet Elvis where he talked about – a theology that is more compared to a brick or a spring. And that the, the theology of the brick is that uh, if, if, if there's one thing that's untrue in your theology, whether it's, uh, you know, Adam and Eve eating the fruit or no, uh, the exact measurement of the ark, if you remove that brick, it all like tumbles down. Like the salvation has nothing to do with it. Right. And then there's the spring, which like you can, they can flex, you know, you can straighten it out. You can go this way. You can go that way. And to me there, there's a, I would put a a slightly different spin on the, the Rob Bell analogy, because I I would agree 100% with what he was saying, but for sake of explaining it, um, say it a little differently. And I tied into like the, the James Bond the James Bond thing too. The <laughs> fandom to me with James Bond is like uh, since I've grown up, James Bond as a man is not who I would want to be. Right. He's just not. He's not who I'd want to be as a man. This guy who cannot commit to a relationship, who ultimately cares only about his own gratification in the moment, and then um, risks his life endlessly for a desire to feel like he's um, living for something bigger than himself. But, I mean, if you're going to break it down, if he was a real human being, he's just compensating for the fact that he's unable to connect with human beings. So he spends the next mission trying to, to prove he, he saved the world. He obviously cares. Um, and then moves from woman to woman to woman to woman with no commitment. Um, he's not who I want to be as a, as a human being. So it's like, why would I hold on to don't change the movie? This is James Bond. Don't mess with the character. When it's like, yeah, but that character is not at all what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can kind of see parallels to that with Christianity um, and to tie it in with the brick and spring thing. I totally, I totally agree with because I, I read that book um, before, and I agree with the the brick, <laughs> the brick analogy. To Rob Bell family. Um with the <laughs> if you pull out the one brick, everything crumbles. So if you start to question something, my faith is gone entirely. Um, but I would see it more as like the there's there's the springs, um, and then there's like the bolts that are holding the whole thing in place. And to me, what I mean by that is there is like the the incarnation. Um, that Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. To me, that's a bolt holding the whole thing in the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you pulled that one out, it's gone. Um, The resurrection, the Apostle Paul says, if he didn't raise from the dead, this whole thing's pointless. Um, So, like, the death, the crucifixion, majorly important. But if he didn't raise from the dead, then we're doing nothing. We're wasting our time here. Um, So, like, the... 
the hundred percent, the the deity of Christ, the the resurrection, these things are like the bolts holding the springs in place, and then everything else that the church spends so much time arguing over, everything else that the church focuses on that separates us, arguments over things like um, how it should look exactly, or and I'm not saying that's not important because I don't want to downplay that for for other people either. But what I'm saying is it's that confidence and certainty thing. Um, I can have a confidence in saying Christ, Christ died, buried, rose again so that I could, I could spend an eternity with a relationship with him, with my creator, that I could be what I was created to be because of the sacrifice he paid. Um, and then I can have confidence saying, because of that, here's how I think things work. But it doesn't have to be certain to me right? because I could be wrong on all that stuff. The only part that to me is is certain is what Christ did. I think that that's what that unites all of us. That's that's the story that matters to humanity yeah. is the fact that God himself took on flesh, died on a cross and then rose again to, to allow us to be fully human and have a relationship with him. That's the only thing to me that's like, that to me is, that's it. Everything else, how that looks, how that works, I can be confident in what I believe, but have the humility to say, I could be wrong. So that doesn't mean I'm going to write you off or argue with you. And, uh, I mean, I'm sitting here with the, the Episcopal priest and the um, being the Baptist. The fact that we can sit here is, mm-hmm. is exactly that. I don't have to write off the things that we disagree on and say, you know what, you're outside of my faith because of your differences, because I know what we have in common, and that's Christ. And the yeah. rest is, it's, it's, it's up for discussion, and I can be confident and say, no, I'm going to stand for what I believe in without taking it to the fanatic, the fandom like right. we're talking about, of saying, no, it's my way or we're done. Um, that's just not necessary to me. I don't see why 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 it has to be. Yeah, it makes me think of um, one of my favorite my favorite theology books, which is not Japanese, by <laughs> which the way. is not Japanese theology. Um, is um, Gerard Laughlin's? Um, it's actually Indonesian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gerard Laughlin, um, Gerard Laughlin's Telling God's Story, um, really obscure theological theology book, but he um, in that he talks about doctrine and historically in, in the church, doctrine is more like. It was more like grammar rules rather than sort of what we've made dogmatic or whatever. Um, and when he um, what he says is, you know, they're, they're, so when we, you know, to use sort of Rob Bell thing, what we talk about when we talk about God, right? It's that it narrows, like, you know, it, it creates the rules around the language of what it means to be a Christian. So to be a Christian, you're obligated to believe certain things. So the way that it sort of manifests is like the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is a summation of the Christian faith. Um, if you believe in the Nicene Creed, that's what makes you Christian. Like if that's, you know, whatever. But the Nicene Creed is a whole series of what statements. We believe what? We believe God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe what? We believe Jesus Christ, the only son. We believe what? God the Holy Spirit. You know, like it's, it's all these what statements. They're not, they're not how statements. How is where we have the wiggle room. You know, so if you're going to go to a point and say that, well, you know, I believe that Jesus is only human. Well, you've gone outside the definition. You're now something else. You're no longer Christian because to be Christian is to believe these certain things. But to say, I believe Jesus is, I believe that Jesus is God. 
okay, well, you're within that, you know, now, now we have some wiggle room. We can talk a little bit about that. And there's been, you know, there, there are variation of degrees within the church of what that means and how that, you know, how that works out. You know, it's like saying, um, you know, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That takes you outside of the grammar rules of doctrine. You'd be saying, I do believe Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, well, we still go, we, we still haven't defined the how, right? So it's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, it's just like a, it narrows the definition, right? It's like, to use Godzilla, to use Godzilla as an example, you know, when we define Godzilla as a character, what makes Godzilla Godzilla? Or, or getting back Batman versus Superman, what makes Superman Superman, right? Like, you know, the, there's a lot of people who would argue that Batman versus Superman is not depicting Superman. It's, a, it's an entirely different character with Superman's name or an iconography. Like Godzilla, same thing, 1988 Godzilla movie. The only thing that that monster has in common with the established Godzilla is the roar. Doesn't breathe fire, doesn't destroy buildings, looks like a giant iguana, doesn't look like, it's not a mutated dinosaur, it's a mutated iguana. Um, it's, it's, it has it lays eggs. I mean, it's a very different thing. And so, like, there comes a point where you've got the name of something, but it's moved outside of the definition and and, and the familiarity of what makes it defined as something else. So, like, like Godzilla, like that '98 Godzilla movie, I would not have had a problem with it if they had given it a different name. But um, so, I think it's a kind of similar kind of idea there that like there are certain things like points we have to hit, like you said, like the bolts. There are things, there are bolts that are there, but then there's springs other places where we can have some wiggle room. And like you were saying, JP, like things that like, if it, if it's contingent on our salvation, that's important. If it does, if it has nothing to do with our salvation, like the dimensions of the ark, then who cares? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean. Or a style of worship. Or a style of worship. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't discuss those things mm-hmm. and be confident and stand for what we believe. Um, but saying that's not the thing that should divide or unite. Um, but I, I mean, there's, there's things that I'd be like, yeah, no, these are important enough to, to take a stand on, mm-hmm. but not at the, at the expense of, um, severing relationship. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it can cause discussion. You can have disagreement and you can take a stand and say, no, I think this is the way it should be. But ultimately, if it's severing relationship, then let it go because that's not the defining mm-hmm. the defining point. But yeah, and it's, it's funny. I, I chuckled because um, I've used that argument so many times about movies <laughs> with like, uh, we'll just talk about the, the easiest one I think of is the Poltergeist remake. I was like, you know, if they just called it anything else, I would have been like, oh, it was a decent, a decent <laughs> scary movie. I thought it was fun. Um, but because you called it Poltergeist, it was horrible and nothing about it was entertaining. Like, like it's just, just call it a different name. Um, like but that Karate Kid, like that Karate Kid movie with Jackie Chan. <laughs> Actually, not a bad movie. Um, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go as far as to say, as somebody who studied Wing Chun Kung Fu, that because that movie was Kung Fu based, I, I'm going for that one over the other one. <laughs> they were going to they were going to call originally call that movie Kung Fu Kid, but they realized Karate Kid was much more of a sellable title. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So, I agree with you, Matt. And I agree with you. And there we go. The point. And the, and what do we agree on? We agree that and we Jesus. don't. We agree that we don't. That we don't agree on a lot, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. isn't, isn't that the point? Like it's okay. Yeah, we like, agree I, on the stuff that's important. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and just to, just so I can somewhat get you out of the doghouse with good luck. the supporters of. John Calvin's way later supporters because John Calvin himself was not a uh, Calvin. I think you mean supporters of Paul, Chuck. 
Uh, um, <laughs> I, I won't even dignify that. Um, is like as a Christian, as a as a very committed traditional Christian who believes in the apostolic traditions of the church going back from from the beginning, um, and the and the theology inherent in Scripture. I do believe in a sovereign, all knowing God. So the Calvinists can have that. I do believe in a sovereign, all-knowing God who predestines all things. I do believe in that. Um, but I also believe God is bigger than any of us. And so therefore, um, somehow, it's free will and predestination. It's called a divine mystery. The Christian church has been happy with that concept for millennia. Get on board. <laughs> um, that's my rant there. But um, so, of course, this is all my way of trying to get one of your Calvinist buddies who has huge problems with me to come on my show. Because you know? the Calvinist buddies were trying to kill my people back in the 1500s. I loved – this is probably Matt's closing thought for the podcast. Okay. I loved the, the idea that sometimes the answer is just yes. Like is it free will or is it predestination? It was, yes. like last, it was like last week. You said one profound sentence, and I said yes. Yes, yes. Sometimes the answer is just yes. Is it, is it free will or predestination? Yes. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and um, because God is sovereign. He knows all. Mm-hmm. He controls all. And God is one. He's but unlike it, but anything. It, yeah. but, so and he gets to be whatever he wants part, to be. And that's, that's where we mess up is God is God. Is God. No, there's God and there's nothing. Like, we can't compare anything to him. But we think that means we can place him in a box and say, this is God. And if you put him in the box and say, this is God, I would argue you're not talking about God anymore because <laughs> he doesn't fit in the box. I that's, think there's a word for that. What's that word? Oh, it's idolatry. Yeah, it is. So my final thought, sometimes the answer is just yes. All right. It's a good one. 